Welcome back to the Rocky Retirement Show. I'm your host, Kathy Klein, and today's guest host, as you know if you've listened to the other three episodes, is an expert on helping family members stay in their home. If you haven't listened to the other three episodes, go back and listen to them in order. I think it'll make a lot more sense. But in addition to the other three episodes that we've guest hosted together. She was also on the show before as an actual guest. And if you go back to episode 24, you will be able to listen to that. Um, Today is the end of our four-part series on intergenerational living situations. And today we are going to talk about how to have a meaningful and happy multi-generational family life. So if you have parents in-laws, children, or siblings, and you're going to want to stick around for the end of this four-part series. And before we start, I wanted to let you know that this episode is sponsored by the Step-by-Step Guide for Signing Up for Medicare. You can get that guide absolutely free. And if you are turning 65 or new to Medicare, you know how complicated it can seem. This Step-by-Step Guide walks you through step by step. You check off each step as you do it, and you can get this guide absolutely free by going to medicarequick.com slash checklist. (laughs) So that's it. Ajana, welcome back. Thanks, Kathy. Great to be back. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. So in the last episode, you were talking about a contract that you created. And based on today's article, which is at missourifamilies.org, and I'll have a link to the article. um, It sounds like a lot of these, the things, all the suggestions you did in your contract. Yeah. So I thought this article was really awesome because it breaks down uh, in bullet points, basically the thought process that I went through to create the basis for my multi-generational cohabitation agreement. Um, So I think anybody who's thinking about entering into a multi-generational house uh, hold should kind of go through this and, and, and take stock and, and mentally, or even write down the answers to the questions or, or create a plan using this article is I think a great place to start. Right. It is. So the first thing that it says is to have family meetings. And I know a lot of, um, there's a lot of advice around this, but I don't think a lot of people actually do it. You know, I don't think a lot of people actually have set scheduled family meetings. What do you think, Jonna? Well, I think it depends on the family. Uh, in my household, I, it's a very calm, there's a lot of conflict aversion, not a yelling household. It's very placid. And things don't, we don't do well with hashing out and having a big group discussion. What seems to work better for us is to have quiet sharing sessions. And then one one on, yeah, one-on-one seems to work better for us. Um, When I have tried to have group meetings, then my husband doesn't want to upset my father and my father's trying to be really polite. And, and so nothing really gets said. Um, so what I do is, is if there is something that needs to be addressed, I sit down and I have a meal with my dad because that opens him up to conversation that sets the stage for a meeting in quotation marks, if you will. And I think you have to understand what, um, 
what your loved one is going to be receptive to, and then create the conversations or the meetings around that. Right. And so your family meetings might be in a big group, or they might be more like what Jonna has one-on-one so that people are more open and not feeling like, I don't know. I, ganged I think, up on. Yeah, ganged <laughs> up on. I think that would be the, the right word. Yeah, absolutely. But everybody can have their own style of family meeting. What's the next yeah. one, Jonna? Well, I think it goes along with the family meetings and it's communicate any household issues. So, you know, for, in my house, I don't do laundry. I'm a very lucky lady. No kidding. Right. Uh, but the conflict that came from that was that uh, my husband does the laundry and my father does the laundry. <laughs> okay. So my husband and my father were con- were having trouble figuring out the laundry schedule. And my dad likes dryer sheets and my husband doesn't. So, I mean, gosh, World War Three, right? Right. Um, dryer sheets. So, um, <laughs> Hey, it can be a problem. <laughs> right. Apparently so. So uh, I didn't even hardly know what, how they worked. So they, we had to have an intervention. Dry, the dryer sheets were only for my dad's laundry. They didn't need to get into the family laundry. So we really had to sit down and talk about, okay, when's your laundry day? How, how, how do we know what's community laundry and what's you know just over some laundry? And so we had to really communicate these things where me being the person that I am was like, it's laundry. The fairies do it. I don't, why <laughs> like, are we talking about right, this? Right. I'm not involved in the laundry situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So why am I talking about laundry? That's all we don't do it. I don't like laundry. Um, so we just, we had to learn how to communicate these things and it comes up from time to time. So I think just being really open about that communication and, and being willing to say, Hey, this isn't working for me, but maybe this could, we even have a, a calendar up. So sometimes things get written on the calendar so we know that there won't be a conflict. So oh, that communication is super important. Good idea. And you know, you don't even have to be in an intergenerational home to have issues like this come up. I mean, with my husband and myself, he does most of the dishes. You know, he he does nice. the dishes, but I do them too. And I like to put all the spoons in one place um, in the dishwasher and all the forks in another place. And my husband likes to jumble them all up together. And As they should be. <laughs> <laughs> See what I'm saying? So right. you don't even have to be multi-generational to hash out some of these issues. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So maybe these conversations are good for any couple, any household. Exactly, exactly. So the next one talks about house rules. So I can imagine, Jonna, that this would be really uncomfortable. Let's say my mom or dad moved in with me, and now I have to tell them, hey, uh, you know, we typically go to bed at 10. We don't stay up until 1 o'clock in the morning. That's just not not us. Um, Or uh, I don't know. My dad used to smoke. He doesn't smoke now, but, you know, it would be, uh, hey, absolutely no smoking in the house. We we don't smoke here. How did you deal with the house rules? Because I'm sure your rules are a little different than they were growing up. Yeah, so we um, we actually created more of a neutral zone, I suppose. Um, the things that we felt were, might cause conflict would be, you know, personal belief oversharing, things like that. So we we just early on, we just said, hey, your views and values are yours. Our views and values are ours. If you want to talk about it, do that away from the children and in your own space and vice versa. So basically um, no politics, religion, you know, the, the 
things you're yeah. not supposed to talk about at parties. Right, right. <laughs> Unless you're in agreement. Now, some families, they're all going to be on the same page and it's going to work out just fine. So that doesn't necessarily need to be a house rule. But for us, we just set the standard early. We had the house rules really clear and it was to protect not only us, but also you know, my father from misunderstanding and conflict. So that was one house rule. I think another one, um, because we had smaller children, we have younger girls, we weren't comfortable with people we didn't know having access to the house. So one of our house rules was no outside people. If my dad wants to have a, a you know, a, a relationship with someone, which we really want him to do, of course, we encourage that. That needs to happen either on that person's turf or it needs to happen outside of the house. So he, he doesn't have his own entrance. He does not at this time. Now, when he does, the rules will change, of course. But at this point, we all share one communal space. And it's really important to us that we be able to trust that our children are safe in that space. So that's a house rule for us. That makes total sense to me, you know, not to have yeah. different people. <laughs> yeah, but they're very specific to our to our uh, home life and where we are in our you know, and your living situation. Oh, right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So don't be afraid to have your, I mean, don't be afraid that if something sounds strange to you, like if your, if your rule is no dogs or something, don't be afraid of that. That's your rule. You get to have it at your house. Right. Okay. The next rule or the next um, item is establish financial responsibilities. So are, it, does your family member get to come and live for free or do they, do they need to share? Do they need to pay for gas? Do they need to pay groceries? Like, did you set all this out in your, in your template? We did. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the financial bit can definitely be challenging because, you know, as an adult child, I wanted to give, I want to give, I want to give to my family all the time. You know, I want to be generous. Um, but I also had to be very realistic about how long the arrangement might, might last and, and why we were doing it in the first place. So my grandmother, who passed not too long ago, um, was, was pretty ill. Um, and when, she, when it came to our attention, of course, I said, if she'd like, she lived in Texas at the time, I said, if she'd like, she can come here. I'm very comfortable with caring for others. I have the resources to do it. I have the house set up to do it if she'd like we'll take care of her here. And we knew that she was in a hospice scenario. So it was going to be pretty intense, but it wasn't going to be super long. She didn't have resources. It wasn't about the resources. That wouldn't have been a conversation that I personally needed to go into for her. Um, but with my father, he's 60 years old. He's completely capable. And part of, you know, his agreement with living with us is that we're building out a second living structure that he'll have on his own. So his own house in Southern California is kind nice. of a big deal, right? Yes, it is. <clears throat> so we agreed that he would give us a very small rent, not even what you would pay for a studio apartment here in Southern California to help with that cost that we were incurring. So that was what we did. Um, but each family is going to be so unique and so different based off of their, uh, based off of their specific arrangements. I would, I would tell people, though, not to feel embarrassed about talking about money or asking for money or really hashing that out before. Well, don't you also think that when people contribute financially to the household, it makes them feel better themselves? Like, even it if can. it's just a little bit, like, let's say, let's say your family member only makes $500 a month. 
if they even contributed $25 a month toward the household, at least they're contributing something, right? Yeah. Well, I think it really depends on the way you were raised and the expectation of your family. For instance, my father kind of feels that this should be something that children do for parents, right? This is, he did, I did for you, you do for me. The difference is for me, you know, he did it for 17 years. You know, I could be in here for 30. Right. (laughs) Exactly. So who knows, right? Um, But you, and you also weren't an adult, so it was not a capable can, can you use that as you know can you use that as as fuel that hey you owe me because when you were a child I took care of you I mean I guess I yeah. have different expectations on that than most <laughs> I think the takeaway from that is that everyone's different right everyone's different you have a, even just in this conversation you know there's a we have a different view and mindset on it and um I think you just really need to have that open, honest communication with your family member to see how your views align, how they differ, and how you can come to an agreement on that. And having the agreement before they move in is probably before. a great idea. Before, yes, Kathy, thank you. And not only that, but if there's a spouse involved, you better have that person in the conversation as well because their views might differ from your parent and your view. Right. Yeah, because of course, I mean, we talked about this in the last episode, I find myself sliding back into old habits and roles, not, you know, not from a child's perspective, but just things that feel comfortable to me. I always cooked. Now I cook. It seems like the natural thing to do, right? My dad, you know, has certain things that he likes to do. He likes to lead the um, the evening meal. He likes to handle the music, right? That's That was his, not anymore. That does not happen now, right? So no. there's a conflict. In there. his own room. He gets to yeah. handle the, yeah. the, the music. Yeah. yeah. So it's easy to pop back into those old roles as a parent child. It's really important that your spouse feel involved in that process because right. it, it happens quick. And heard. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the next one I think is really important, but I don't, uh, I don't know that it would, it would be um, practical for everybody. And that is have a separate and shared spaces for all family members. Right. So ideally, I totally agree. Having separate spaces, having communal spaces, amazing and really, 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 really valuable. In reality, though, sometimes when I walk into multi-generational houses where um, there's an aging parent that has health issues, they might take over a whole floor. You got a hospital bed. Or a living room, you know. Yeah. Yeah. The communal space is, is essentially gone. You've got, you know, tools and and the, and and usually it encompasses the kitchen too because it's kind of, you know they'll take like a whole main living area out, right especially if the only other access is upstairs and they can't get up and downstairs so sometimes it happens that that doesn't work out but i think even in those situations it's really important to be cognizant of the space so even if you don't have a clear physical boundary i think sometimes just creating a mental boundary can be efficient um, in my home we converted an, an outdoor, uh, it's a it's a lovely outdoor patio, but we converted it into a living space. And what separates it from the main house is a set of really nice thick curtains. Hmm. So when it's, right, so we leave the space, yeah, we just open it right up. We leave the space open from the window so that we get, you know, heat and cool and it's a comfortable environment. 
But when we need that mental separation, the curtain closes. And that means our house is closed or his house is closed. Oh, interesting. Now, is that outdoor space um, outdoor? Is it for both of you or is it is that where he's living? No, that is that is my dad's space dedicated yeah it's like a 12 by 30 room so we actually converted it into a bedroom a living room and a dining room so it's indoor now it's it's all yeah it's yeah. completely indoor it's yeah, indoor. No, my dad's not living out on the <laughs> on this, the porch but it's indoors um, and when he wants privacy he shuts it yeah he can shut it too. And it's such a cool space that when he's on vacation or he's left to go visit friends and relatives, my my kids fight to see who can stay in grandpa's room. Oh, nice. It, it's a cool space, but um but it was hard it is hard sometimes to create that separation. I just encourage people to not think about like, oh well, I don't have, you know, my own living room for my loved one, or my loved one only has a small room. That's fine. Just give them permission to have that as their own and take permission to have your own space as your own. And that way you can recharge without having somebody constantly right. around. I like the idea of the curtain. That yeah. that was an that was sounds like a really good solution. And that leads us to the next one on the list. Respect each other's privacy. And it sounds like you have that worked out. More or less. Yeah. Sometimes I get a bossy pants daughter and I say things like, dad, why aren't you dating? Dad, do you have a girlfriend? What's going on? (laughs) Right. Things that I probably shouldn't ask. But, um, you know, and for the most part, he shuts me down and goes on his way. So we have it worked out in our house. But really, I'm being kind of silly about it. But really, when it comes down to it, my dad is a is an independent man. My parents are independent people. I need to respect that their choices are their own and vice versa. And I think that having that conversation and setting that standard really early on is very important. How do you do that if you feel like their choices are affecting you personally? I mean, that might not happen to you, but if someone's living in my house and they make a choice, I don't know what the choice would be, but their choices could affect me. So how do you deal with with that? I think you have to take that on a case by case basis. Mm -hmm. If you, you know, I mean, if you're looking at something that might have long-term financial implications and it's going to affect, say, your credit, they want to buy something, use you as, you know, use your name or whatever. No, that needs your permission. You do not have to do that. Remember, you're your own individual person. This is an arrangement. This does not mean that you're obligated to do anything. So, you know, just be honest with yourself and what your lines are. And if you feel like they're making a decision that's affecting you in a negative way or could possibly affect you in a negative way, just bring it to their attention. And if this is your home, right, if you're the person who's sharing your home, ultimately, you know, it's your, it's your home. You make the call. If you're the person who's staying there, if you don't like the way that the rule's being done, then, you know, you do have a, hopefully have an option to look for an arrangement that better suits you. Right. Right. You know what? Some of the um, young 20-somethings are doing is they already have communal living arrangements where each person has their own bedroom and bathroom, especially in some of the more expensive areas like San Francisco. And so each person has their own bedroom and bathroom, and then there's a communal space, communal kitchen, communal living room. <laughs> and um, I I think that at some point we'll have communal living for um, older adults. We do. They're called boarding cares. <laughs> 
That's a little bit different though. I mean, that's a little bit different because the people are all being cared for. They're not independent, right? right? That's true. But I think, I think situations like that will pop up for, you know, like, I think I've said this before, I would love to live like the golden girls when yeah. I get older. As long as I have my own bathroom. And for the listener, I don't know what that popping noise is. I'm sorry. It's probably something to do with my computer. But um, I'll see if the editor can take it out. But yeah, I would love to live like that, you know, with in a communal where you can go be on your own if you need privacy. But yet, there's a big kitchen where you can hang out and and chat if you want some social. Well, it's really nice. I mean, there are definitely days where I've had a long day at work. I come through, I have the look on my face. I put my bag down in its spot and I walk straight into my bedroom. I don't say hello. I don't collect $200. I mean, I am mentally done. (laughs) Right. Right. And everybody knows that when I go in my room and shut the door, that's it. I need some time. Um, And sometimes I walk in and it's a great day and a glass of wine is waiting for me and it's communal time. So those things tend to work themselves out naturally. Yeah, that's good. Okay, I like this next one. Be good role models by teaching children to respect older family members. Yeah, no, that one's been really fun. I have a feisty 13-year-old daughter who already knows everything. Just ask her. (laughs) And she has very different views than her grandfather. And so sometimes they will go head to head about, you know, opinions, which of course, you know, their opinions, right? You're, right. you're probably Everybody has good. one. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so um, it's been very eye-opening to her to hear me say, you know, maybe it's time to back off. Maybe you need to try a different way of, you know, you, you can't talk to him like he is a peer. He's your grandfather. He deserves different respect. And so she's been learning to deal with that. And he's been learning to talk to her. You know, Like she's a person. Like right. she's a person and not, you know, pushing her as hard as he might, you know, somebody who he was bantering with of his own age and experience level. He's learning that when she starts to get defensive, he needs to back up because maybe she's not understanding where where he's coming from. Right. That's good. That's good. Um, okay. The next one, establish routines, family rituals, and traditions to bring family members together. Yeah, this one, um, this one is so interesting from family to family because some of them are going to have such deeply rooted traditions and like every Sunday dinner or you know everyone together or something like that yeah exactly I think mine is a little bit more relaxed but but you will definitely find your own cadence and uh, just make sure that it fits with everyone in the family right that's good and speaking of that the next one on the list is be flexible (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Right. So we did about six months of cohabitation before we had to do a reboot. And I think it came when, when I realized that, that we were spending almost every meal together. And my husband was looking at me like, Hey, we need that separation. We gotta, we gotta reestablish that. And so I had to go back through and I had to have the hard conversation and say, you know what? The, the, the curtain exists for a reason. If you're invited to dinner, then that's a different story. Otherwise, assume that you need to fend for yourself that night. Because A, I don't want to be responsible for cooking for anyone else than I already am. <laughs> and B, sometimes I just need to be able to connect with my children in our language style. Because it's different when you bring other people in. It is. And he understood. Oh, that's good. 
That's good. Um, yeah, I can see where that would be a bit of a issue for the spouse. You know, yes. the spouse whose family member it isn't. They want alone alone time with their core family. Right. And the in-law isn't technically core. That's why they call it multi-generational. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I think the thing that you really have to keep in mind as the child is you've spent your whole life learning this person's language. The cues when you've gone too far, the the moments where playfulness is acceptable, you know those things intrinsically. And even if they're not always positive, you still know how to read them. Right. And your spouse does not. So mm-hmm. that puts such an edge on the on the comfort level for each person. It's easy to lose sight of that, but you really do have to be extremely understanding and flexible with your spouse who's trying to learn a new person. It's like, you know, if you learn a language as a child, it's much easier to speak it than if you try as an adult. Right. And also I like the way you are having these conversations. You're not leaving it up to your husband to converse with your father. I tried that. <laughs> yeah, I don't I I don't think that would work very well, but it's hard as the family member like you don't want to make anybody mad. So you don't really want to be the person, but I think it is your responsibility if you're the if you're the connection between the two generations. It, it really needs to be you to to sort of hash out some of these issues, and I love the way that that you are actually doing it. I was very reluctant to take on that role, especially with my example with laundry. That's a real example. And I did not want to talk about laundry or dryer sheets or when to use They're them like, or not. like, you guys hash it out. You yeah. hash, but they never did, did they? They never did. And this is now information that I unfortunately hold in my head that I never wanted to know. But I do now because I'm the daughter and that's my role. Um, so I think you need to be very clear about where you'll you'll intervene what things they need to fix on their own and if they're capable of doing that again as i said my i have very non-confrontational people in my house so you know it's a cold war and it's not a fun experience so it's better just to get it out in the open even if it's me that's kind of have to do it it a little yeah and that brings us to the last one which kind of could be unsaid but isn't um which needs to be said and that is be nice (laughs) Be kind. Yeah, Yeah, um, this one, I think they save it last for a reason. I think it's the one that you would expect people to just do. And I think it's probably one of the most poorly done on the list. Um, When I'm dealing a lot with, uh, with families, and we talked about the fact that normally when I step into the situation, it's an adult child dealing with a sick parent. But what is really shocking to me is sometimes how often the adult child will have a lot of animosity towards the parent for being sick, right? Oh, mom's just doing that because she's trying to get back at me. No, mom has dementia and that causes her to make really poor decisions. Right. So they kind of lose the kindness in the process, which makes it a, a bad situation for everyone involved. And having been through it myself, it's definitely easy for me to sometimes think, gosh, dad, why are you doing this? Uh, you would think that you would have learned after all this time, this is not something that you need to be doing. That's not my call to make. And I right. have to always remember to practice kindness and empathy and support. Mm. And that is a good note to end on. Be kind, be nice to your family members, regardless of whether they're living with you or not. 
but especially if they are, it takes a little extra compassion because it's hard on everybody in today, in this culture that we're in. You know, it might not be hard in cultures where it's the norm, but in our culture where it's not the norm, be, being kind is is a good good advice. So once again, another great episode. Thank you for co-hosting. Thanks for finding oh, thank these you. articles. I appreciate it. <laughs> My pleasure, Kathy. Yes. And um, for the listener, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Retirement.